Congratulations to the Chiefs on winning their third Super Bowl. While they party in the streets of Kansas City, we're going to look at the seismic changes that could reshape the nature of NFL team ownership. Plus, we get an insider look at what's going on inside Disney. It's Monday, February 13th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. Super Bowl 57 finished less than 24 hours ago, but people are already looking toward number 58. It will be in Las Vegas at Allegiant Stadium. And I have to agree with NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell when he said of next year's big game, I think I'd be making a mistake underestimating anything that happens in Vegas and how big it can be. Just look at Formula One, which is hosting its first race in Vegas in decades this November. Caesars is offering a five-night hotel package for $5 million for the F1 week. The Emperor Package, as it's called, includes a 24-hour butler and driver service, a private culinary experience with Michelin-starred chef Nobu Matsuhisa, and two tickets to see Adele, and some VIP access around the F1 race. I'm not sure about the branding, honestly. I mean, things didn't go super well for the original Emperor named Caesar, but I don't have $5 million, so I'm not the target audience here. Wynn is offering a $1 million package for the race, you know, if you can't do the $5 million. This is for Formula One, so who knows what kind of insanity we're going to see for the Super Bowl. Oh, and to state the obvious, the NFL is okay with gambling now. They used to be very against it, wanted nothing to do with it, but now the league has sports betting sponsors, they have sports books inside stadiums, they have a team in Vegas, and at basically the first opportunity that they had, they brought the Super Bowl to Las Vegas. It's going to be insane. More on the NFL. Our own A.J. Perez reported that the Washington Commander's owner, Dan Snyder, is holding out for a $7 billion offer, and that's good news and bad news for the NFL. It's good news because that would be a record for any team sale in the history of the world. It's bad news because it raises the possibility that Snyder might try to hold on to the team, and that could be a massive headache for the NFL, because then they have to look into forcibly removing him, which could get really ugly. Why don't we try being nice? It's good news because it means the league's value has never been higher. Oh, okay. It's bad news because other than that Bezos guy, who is still the favorite to end up with the commanders, there are not a lot of people that can afford NFL teams right now, and that has the league reconsidering some of its long-held ownership bylaws. The NFL requires the principal owner of a team to own at least 30%. They limit the amount of debt an ownership group can take on to buy a team, and they do not allow institutional investors like private equity funds. That means that anyone who wants to meet the $7 billion price tag for the commanders needs to personally have access to $2.1 billion, and they need to find another $5 billion, give or take, from their own coffers or a broader consortium, but they can't tap some of the biggest piles of money in the world to make that happen. As team valuations rise, the list of potential buyers gets smaller and smaller, and Bloomberg is now reporting that people on the inside think it's inevitable that team ownership rules change eventually. With any big move, the NFL likes to let other leagues jump in the water first so they can see if the water's warm and if there are any sharks lurking. MLB, the NBA, NHL, and the big European soccer leagues have all allowed private equity firms to own minority shares of teams, and they've been very popular assets for those firms. The part of the story we haven't really seen yet is when these private equity firms start selling and trading their shares. These firms exist to get a return on their investments and eventually their investors are going to want to see that return. Let's look at what else is going on. FC Barcelona is looking to raise $1.6 billion to renovate its 75-year-old Spotify Camp New Stadium. 75-year-old Spotify is kind of an oxymoron, but that's the world we live in right now. 
Per Bloomberg, the club is working with Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan, two names that seem to be coming up a lot lately, on a private debt sale so that Barcelona can join teams like Tottenham Hotspur and having a big, fancy, modern stadium that brings in a ton of money. Carmelo Anthony is teaming up with co-founders of ISOS Capital Management to launch a fund called ISOS 7 Sports Investments. They expect to have $750 million in deployable capital, and they plan to invest in sports leagues, teams, and in related businesses in chunks of $50 million to $100 million. Trivia question. Where does Carmelo rank in the all-time NBA scoring list? I'll give you a moment to think about that. And the answer to that trivia question is ninth. Carmelo Anthony is ninth on the all-time NBA scoring list with 28,289 points. UEFA is getting concerned about how more and more team owners own clubs in different leagues, because the more of that happens, the more you run into issues around conflicts of interest. I've been wondering if this was ever going to come up. There's the possibility that teams with the same owners could play each other in a UEFA tournament, but there's also potential concerns around what's essentially collusion through the player transfer market. Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker is not into the idea of letting the Chicago Bears freeze their property tax assessment for decades to help them move to Arlington Heights. They're still probably going to move, but they might not get one of those sweetheart deals from the state. Up next, I spoke to my friend and longtime fantasy baseball opponent CNBC's Alex Sherman about the big changes happening inside Disney. They are not spinning off ESPN, but they are making it a standalone unit within the company and doing a major restructuring. Alex has been covering Disney as well as any reporter out there for a while now. We'll have that conversation right after this. Two thousand, two thousand eight, twenty twenty two. When it comes to the economy, those are some scary years. Dot com crash, housing crash, and the roller coaster we're going through right now. One thing is certain: it's a dangerous time to not know your numbers. But over thirty one thousand businesses have the confidence and clarity they need because they rely on Netsuite by Oracle, the number one cloud financial system. Netsuite gives you visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, planning, and budgeting, so you can manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need, all in one place. So, how do you prepare for uncertain times? The answer: Netsuite. Netsuite helps you identify rising costs, automate your business processes, and easily see where to save money. That's why 93% of customers say they improved their visibility and control when they upgraded to Netsuite. What are you waiting for? Right now, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to netsuite.com/frontoffice right now. netsuite.com/frontoffice. netsuite.com/frontoffice. All right, I'm joined now by CNBC media reporter and fearsome fantasy baseball player Alex Sherman. How's it going, Alex? Not that fearsome. Full disclosure, Owen usually wins our fantasy baseball league since he's joined. So my, my, I used to be a fearsome player, but not, not recently. Yeah, well, I, I feel like we're both, you know, entering like whatever, like Mike Trout, maybe like Miguel Cabrera stage where it's like, oh, yeah, they, they, they were great, but um, <laughs> they got lots of lots of awards. But um, you know, right. also, I've, I feel out of touch with the new class of baseball players. So I, I do. I feel like a dinosaur both like as someone who's played fantasy baseball for 25 years and also someone who's like not on the cutting edge of the right players to pick anymore. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm feeling that it's like it's, you know, 
Captain. Like, is, it, is Barry Larkin still available for me to pick? <laughs> yeah, he's good, right? right. <laughs> Solid player all around. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, we could do this for way too long, and our, our listeners would love it, I'm sure. But um, uh, we're here to talk about Disney. Alex has been on, on the Disney beat, um, you know, as much as anyone out there. Uh, and we've had some major news recently. So, you know, um, they're cutting 7,000 jobs and $5.5 billion in costs. We also have some stuff with ESPN. They just released their earnings reports. So, Alex, what's what's the biggest story in all this for you? I think the biggest story is uh, Disney, in many ways, is a proxy for the entire media industry. So what stuck out to me in this most recent earnings yesterday is that if you look at the streaming business right now, moment in time, the streaming business lost a billion dollars. Revenue was up 13%. Overall, Disney Plus lost 2.5 million subscribers in the quarter, which is unusual. Uh, Almost every quarter, Disney Plus gains often more than 10 million subscribers in a quarter. But uh, Disney raised prices across the board on Disney Plus dramatically. They were, you know, almost 40%. So it was not a surprise that there was some churn. And actually, as Bob Iger said, the surprise was that maybe the loss actually was only two and a half million um, instead of even more with such a dramatic price hike. Nevertheless, if you look at streaming, money losing business, this isn't new. Disney has said for many years now it expects streaming to become break even and then profitable at the end of 2024. Then there's the linear business. The linear business revenue down 5%, uh, operating profit down 16%. So the streaming business is not good at this moment in time. The linear business gets even worse at this moment in time. And yet shares were up 5%. So why were they up 5%? Well, it was because of what you mentioned in the intro, that Bob Iger is dramatically going to cut cost. Uh, and he's also, uh, Disney's laying off 7,000 employees. So that's where we are right now as a media industry. The, the market is actually rewarding scaling back and cost cutting. And one other interesting thing he said just a, an hour or two ago in an exclusive CNBC interview with David Faber is that he's now open potentially to selling Hulu. Oh, wow. Disney owns 66% of Hulu. And that is a stark reversal. As a, I'll write the story probably later today, from Disney's strategy now for years. I mean, it was just like five months ago that Bob Chapek said publicly, look, we'd like to own all of Hulu tomorrow, if possible. Uh, And he certainly was trying to get that deal done. But Comcast had no interest in selling him its 33% stake in Hulu because the valuation had come so far down this past year in all of these media companies, triggered by Netflix's free fall in the beginning of the year, that Comcast said, well, we don't want to sell this stake to you now. We'll just wait until 2024, which is when a prior agreement that the two companies signed in 2019 kicks in that basically demands Disney buy that last 33% stake, if Comcast wants them to, uh, for about $9.2 billion. That's the valuation, the floor valuation, the minimum valuation that Disney has to pay. So now what we're hearing is that maybe Iger would sell its 66% stake in Hulu to Comcast, potentially. He at least was open to the idea. That's what he said today. But it's the first time he's ever said anything like that. So the point here is that Disney seems to be in a new mode. It's not, uh, you know, let's get as many streaming subscribers as we can, and that will push our valuation higher. They're very much now in a let's cut back on costs. Let's even possibly sell Hulu and, and make our company smaller for the time being. 
uh, and, and we'll hope that the market rewards us for that. Hearing you break all that down, I, I can't help but wondering, like, can streaming and linear coexist? It feels like linear is just like, it's, it's this kind of Goliath from the past that can't keep up with, you know, 80%, 60%, a dwindling number of its subscribers sticking around. Uh, but streaming is not yet profitable. It's only Netflix right now. So this is the $64,000 question in media. And the general idea is that as the legacy media falls, the streaming business takes over. And then the business A leads into business B because all the subscribers that were linear subscribers eventually become streaming subscribers. And then B, through a series of price increases over years, the streaming business starts to look something like what used to exist in the linear business, about the same amount of people paying, about the same prices they're paying, even though the prices now would be going direct to the company and not through some third-party wholesaler like your cable company. Uh, so that's the general idea of what's happening. But the two businesses are strategically misaligned, and there's no better example of that than ESPN where ESPN makes all of this money for Disney. And in order to make up that money, because every single person that pays for cable TV pays for ESPN, whether or not you watch. So there's a much smaller amount of actual ESPN watchers, which would be the only paying subscribers in a streaming world. In other words, if you want to watch ESPN in the streaming world, you have to pay for ESPN+. And if you don't want sports, you don't have to pay. In the old cable world, you're paying whether or not you watch. So cable, much better business for ESPN than streaming. So what has Disney been doing? They've been trying to hold on to this old ESPN for as long as possible. And Bob Iger reiterated it again today, an hour ago or so. There are no plans to turn ESPN Plus into ESPN because everyone knows that ESPN Linear is a better business than ESPN Plus and they'd have to come up with some sort of outrageous price to charge ESPN Plus in order to make the money back, and that price would be so high that it would be out of whack with all the other streaming services at this point and would probably scare away a lot of people from paying for it. ESPN Plus has something like 24 million subscribers today, but it is not nearly a proxy product for ESPN. So when does that happen? We still have no idea. They keep kicking the can down the road, and maybe that's the best strategy. Keep ESPN going for as long as possible, and then, you know, at some point, when the amount of subscribers gets low enough, then you have to flip the switch. So is that a year away? Is that two years away? Is that three years away? I don't know. One thing that caught my eye in the, the report that they're making these huge cuts is this is going to create a bigger emphasis on their sports content. What does that mean exactly? We don't know what it means yet, but the obvious next hurdle is what happens with the NBA. Uh, they have NBA rights renewals coming up. Uh, those discussions will probably kick into high gear uh, in the middle of this coming year. So what role does ESPN play in that? What type of package do they purchase? And is there a universe in which they don't end up with NBA rights in the next set of deals? I would doubt it, but um, it's possible, I suppose. Uh, I mean, look, ESPN always has wanted to be the worldwide leader in sports. I would I would certainly guess that they would have some package uh, in this coming deal. Uh, but, you know, they're, they're now playing the same game that everybody else is playing. You, you've heard these words from Netflix and Warner Brothers Discovery, which is, we feel like the sports rights rental business is not the business we want to be in. 
Of course, these companies can't buy the NBA, so they have to be in the sports rental business with the NBA. They can buy UFC or WWE, which is now for sale. But you can't buy the NFL, you can't buy the NBA. So they're, they don't have much leverage, uh, particularly when there's other tech companies like Apple and Amazon, which are like, sure, we'll pay a 200% increase for your rights. Like, we don't care. You know, our balance sheet is eight times yours. So in order for ESPN to, to exist, they, they need to play this game. Um, and my, my bet would be they will buy some sort of NBA package because that's the game that they're in. Um, but, you know, will it be a smaller package than maybe they'd like? Possibly, they're in cost-cutting mode now. And, and, and the rental strategy of these huge price increases very much goes against the strategy of saving money on content costs. Yeah, all right. Uh, very interesting. Alex Sherman, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Thanks, Owen. My pleasure. That will do it for today. If you partied hard and late watching the game last night, get some rest tonight. No one's going to sympathize with your ongoing Super Bowl hangover on Tuesday. Speaking of which, we'll see you then. <laughs>